0: Welcome to SDS News Today, February 6th, 1906. Lord Barrington to hang Supreme Court confirms, looks like the death penalty for the bogus nobleman. On the 1st of February, Albert Hussle confessed to killing Frank Sternberg, as well as implicating leaders of the Western Federation of Miners in the association, including one William Hayward, the organization's secretary. The first federal penitentiary building has been completed in Leavenworth, Kansas. As of the 1st of this month, all inmates have been moved to their new home. And finally, we hear the last diary entries of Albert Hunter.
1: So that was the news as it was on February the 6th, 1906. This is also episode 6, so this is her first satanic episode.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, and welcome to Yesteryear's News Today. I'm Shane, you're Johnny. So yeah, okay, I'll start off with our description, which... I've now gotten it written in front of me, our last couple of episodes I have, and uh, we've described exactly what our podcast is, like, ten different ways in five episodes. (laughs) So, to give you the the official description, we're a weekly podcast where we discuss the week's news events from years long past, beginning with the week of January 1st, 1901, and working our way through the next century one year at a time. Do you think there will ever be a time when films... Where there's no Omen remakes
1: or sequels where they don't try and release them on a date that some way they can highlight the three sixes in it. Like, I'm sure they're planning one right now for 2016. And it won't
0: even make sense. It's like, well, that's not six six. That's six six, one six. (laughs) Release it on the uh, 6th of June. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 2016. And they'll just, like,
1: they'll have, like, a blood X over the one in sixteen, <laughs> so is it six six six?
0: They'll come up with some stupid way. It'd be a good way to do. It. Uh, we've a couple of stories from this year, for, or from nineteen oh six. I have a really long story, so maybe I won't do that quite first. No, um, no, you have a, you have a few short ones there, do you? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, g- give me a short one, and maybe I'll break into this one. Well, this is the the first
1: one you heard on the newsreel, and it was the a trial for Albert. Harsell, Albert Harsell, uh, He, he kind of isn't a big player in the story until later. And yeah, uh, his, the trial for killing Frank Steunenberg. So Frank Steunenberg's murder, that's what it's all about, obviously. Um, He was uh, the fourth governor of the state of Idaho. And he began serving in 1897. But before that, he published a paper in Knoxville. And that's where he like went to school, went to college but he was from Idaho originally and he eventually moved back there and worked for his brother's newspaper and so you know he like the everyone we talked about before that worked in uh, the publishing industry that oh, yeah. heavily tied to politics oh yeah and always a uh, yeah it's like it seems like that was the like nowadays you um law like you're usually an attorney or something and you move into yeah the, so either you're either an attorney or a teacher <laughs> seems to be. Back then, it seems. All the ones I come across, it's always like somebody who starts in the publish industry. It's so much of it was about propaganda back then. That yeah, it was that's a good, the thing. Probably had the money to go into politics as well. Yeah, yeah. So he worked for his brother's paper then, but he entered into politics in like 1890. And he was nominated as both the Democratic and the Populist Party candidate for the state and he had like really really strong labor support and so yeah populist party because i guess that doesn't make sense to a lot of people that w- that doesn't exist anymore but it was like a very brief party it was only like 1891 to 1908 it lasted and it was just how do you like people's the people's party it was
0: more the common people's party yeah
1: yeah it was like i think it was a lot like kind of anti-elitist a lot oh, yeah. of farmers started in the southern states and places like texas and arkansas and that then and then up in other parts of the country in like nebraska like the cotton farmers up there like so it was a, it was all over the country but yeah started in different areas but didn't it didn't last you still kind of hear it mentioned these days like it's kind of well not that it's been resurrected but sort of people have used that name but it's in anyway yeah it's not it, but it was it was big here So he got their nominations and, yeah, he won and became the first non-Republican elected to that office. Yeah, like I said, uh, he had, like, strong Labour support because it was, uh, you know, a period of Labour unrest as everywhere in the country was at that time, but particularly here in Idaho with the mining industry. As a result of him just being elected, corporations actually just raised wages straight away (laughs) 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 because they knew that if, like... They knew that Stunenberg, Stunenberg uh, just wouldn't support them if there was a strike. But then there was this yeah. place, the Bunker Hill Mining Company, and they didn't. In fact, they like just seemed like pretty lousy guys to work for anyway. So, you know, of course, employees went on strike there. Well, actually, this, as a result of like just the unfair way a lot of miners are being treated by the Bunker Hill Mining Company, they started up the Western Federation of Miners. Oh yeah. <laughs> and as a response to that, the Bunker Hill co- uh, mining company and other guys set up their
0: own. <laughs> you oh, know, okay, just, yeah, of course. Yeah. And uh, as as we discovered the other week, mines were pretty uh, deadly back then. So many mining disasters, hundreds of miners killed. Like yeah. every couple of months there was different ones all over the States and yeah, uh, England. So.
1: What episode was that? That was the week. I'm trying that, to remember. I?
0: I think it was episode three or four, I'm not too sure
1: now. I think it was four, no, it was three, yeah, sorry, you're yeah. right. Yeah, so uh, go back and listen to three. But anyway, so yeah, like the Bunker Hill Mining Company just weren't very nice to their employees. And this led to an event, well, it's called the Cordelene, uh, Cordeline incident, I guess. Uh, and that's the after a town in uh, Idaho, really, really lovely town. Just Google Cordeline spelled like French, but you, you Google will do that for you. Such a gorgeous looking town. But also called the Dynamite Express. Oh, wow. Which actually sounds like an 80s wrestling tag <laughs> team. <laughs> well, actually, a lot of stuff happened on this, the the d'Alene incident. Chiefly, well, union members discovered the mine owners had hired Pinkerton agents to infiltrate them and basically, you know, inform the mine owners of union activities and, you know, out yeah. to find out who who were members of the unions. And Pinkerton Pinkerton agents were uh they were just a private security firm, but closer to a, a spy firm and it was founded by this guy Alan Pinkerton, who was a Scottish American spy and, you know, done a lot of things during war the the war and stuff. Oh, yeah. We could do an entire episode at him. But anyway, so Agents from that were hired by the mine owners to infiltrate the union. And and meanwhile, like one of the things going on with the mine owners, like they were in a dispute with the railroads or railroad companies who were looking for more money like, opened the rates for Holland, and the mine operators pretty much said, like, oh, it's not going to be profitable anymore, so they kind of let go of a bunch of the miners, but it was just a blo- just a way to make the miners feel useless, because <laughs> oh, yeah. they reopened straight away and brought them back, but, like, with quite, quite a decrease in pay, and they'd introduced, like, whole boring machines that replaced a lot of the miners, so a lot of miners were forced into lower-paid jobs, And, yeah, they are being paid like 50 cents on the dollar, like half of what other miners were. So, basically, they were just being treated like crap, absolute crap. Strike, inevitable, obviously, but we were talking about strikes earlier. Back then, striking meant fighting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, like, these are unbelievably violent strikes like they brought in you know scabs to replace the workers oh yeah, yeah. and they were the, the scabs were essentially tricked into doing it by the mine owners and they used to be sent down from other states in trains it was so uh dangerous for them that they had armed guards protecting them on the train oh, really? yeah but and they would the guards would like protect them as they entered the mine and stuff but just like reading up on it like there's a lot of things that's just like oh yeah, they were kind of protecting them, but also there was this atmosphere of forcing the scabs to work at gunpoint as well. <laughs> like, oh, right, okay. That they were protecting them, but they're also there to make sure they didn't join the strike.
0: Wow! And then that's if they could get into work, and that's past it. the picket line as it were. Like, it would they convince a
1: lot of the scabs to join them? But also they would just like ransack the trains, like, and they'd get in fights with the scabs and stuff. Wow. and all came to a head on this day in what I was saying like the Cordeline incident and this is a very hard one to look up even if anyone listening looks up themselves because like, loads of stuff happened this day or this yeah. weekend, this week, whatever so it's very messy, I'm not going to in- go into it all, I just want to focus on the Dynamite Express because that's the coolest name ever expression, yeah. and pretty much what happened here was uh, around 250 men uh, members of the Western Federation of Miners hijacked a freight train and they were <laughs> okay. they were masked and armed with Winchesters and at each stop through the state they uh more members more miners joined the train wow and it just continued and continued all wearing masks
0: with guns and stuff yeah
1: like. yeah well most of them anyway and then at, this, at Frisco the train stopped and there was men waiting for them. Like, their men waiting for them. And yep. they loaded 80 wooden boxes onto it. And then it went on again. Another stop, loading more boxes. Uh, in the boxes was dynamite. That's the dynamite Exo- express. Uh, <laughs> by the end, by by the time it reached its destination, yeah, it had a thousand men on it. And its destination was Wardner. It was, like you've heard in the newsreel. Yeah, they just uh,
0: blew it up. The train or the... Oh, no, no, the, the mine. like. Oh, they went, like, they drove the train to the Oh, mine. no, they just, no, no, sorry, no, they got to their, they, they
1: got the, off the train, brought all the dynamite and just packed the mine full of it and just blew it up. Oh, like, the entrance and stuff?
0: Yeah, yeah, the entire mine. They just <laughs> That's crazy. <destroyed> it. <laughs> they, um... That's <laughs> what I thought, if we can't work there, nobody can.
1: At this point, it was just, this was just, like, screw them, like, wow. mess with us kind of th- a thing. But, yeah, you know, they just, once they got to Warner, they just, like, yeah. Packed, like, what, I think it was like a thousand pounds of dynamite. Just <laughs> packed it into the mill, set off the charges and scattered. And the place just blew, like huge. Only two people were killed. Well, because there was nobody in it. like. Oh a yeah, strike, of course, yeah. But two, like one of their own and one, uh, somebody from the, the mine owners, uh, their association. But yeah, and as a result of that, Stunenberg, the governor, Governor Stunenberg, he declared martial law. Wow. Okay. But because the Spanish-American War was going on, there was no National Guard, so he asked President McKinley to send federal troops, and he did. He sent uh, black soldiers, also called Buffalo Soldiers, which is oh, just okay. the name given to members of the U.S. Tenth Cavalry Regiment yeah. that were all black. Yes, yeah, so they sent them down to like round up the the miners yeah. and like. Uh, that's just fighting broke out amongst them too (laughs) yeah but they did get them and they were like they had set up pens uh, as prisons like or like using just like farm sheds and stuff to (laughs) imprison like hundreds of miners and that was it for that day Uh, but that action was seen as quite a betrayal by stuenenberg to to supporters to just Kind of, they didn't turn against him. It just, he look, put it, he, he never ran for re election. You oh, put him in a bad light, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, and um, martial law remained in place until, I think, tr- tr- his term actually. Oh, right, right. right. Um, no, terms would have been shorter here. I think it was only four year terms weren't really introduced until the 30s, I don't think. So, there's probably a year, probably a year after this martial law. That's just a guess. I'm probably wrong, but I'd say it was yeah. about that. It was a long time anyway. They just, thought so he betrayed them and yeah, that story ends there but uh, how they felt about him is obviously this started with a trial about his murder so you know where it's going. Uh, on December 30th 1905 almost 5 years after he left office, Schoenenberg was killed outside his house. The bomb was planted on his gate so when he opened it it set off the trigger wow. and he yeah, he was killed instantly and this guy on January 1st then of 06 Albert Hursley who actually, if you look if you do look this up sometimes you'll see it like on Wikipedia, he's listed as Harry Orchard, oh, yeah, but that was just an it, it don't actually mention it in the Wikipedia article, but that was although, I did update it, but didn't show, but yeah, um, that was just an alias he went by, but yeah, Albert Hursley was arrested uh, on January first of 'o six, and at first he denied any involvement, but under harsh questioning. By the Pinkerton agents, the same agents that had spies in the unions, uh, he signed a sixty four page confession and uh, on the first of February, so earlier this week, and in it, he admitted to the assassination and he admitted to being an assassin for the Western Federation of miners that he had he had been hired by them to kill Stuenberg, and also he claimed to have carried out seventeen other attacks that they had paid him to do. He implicated all of them big. Big Bill Hayward was the secretary treasurer of the Western Federation of Miners, so he was the one that directly hired him, at least according to him. Oh, okay. But who knows? Uh, Hayward was actually kidnapped uh, in Colorado and, <laughs> brought, and brought to Idaho to stand trial in 07. <laughs> kidnapped him to stand trial. Yeah. But he was acquitted, and so was the entire in, inner circle of the Western Federation. Well Hursley was sentenced to death, but his sentence was commuted to life in prison. Oh. But so none of the none of the inner circle from the Western Federation went down, but They were all behind it, kind of? Well, according to Hursley anyway, but maybe not. Like it's he there, he was there were being he was questioned by Pinkerton agents, people hired by the opposition, it sounds like oh, okay, there's yeah. as good a chance he, he was hired by them to give them a reason to yeah, get the true who knows like but bill haywood he was he was just known to be a really aggressive guy like he, he was these tactics would not have been beyond him at all like all right, there right. is just no evidence to say he did as far as i know he probably did everybody in this story seems like an absolute <laughs> lunatic yes <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was going yeah. to use a harsher word i'm glad you jumped in yeah, yeah. but I just want to uh this sort That's the story. Anyway, we've caught up with this week. But I just want to read you one really quick thing. This was um from Clarence Darrow. This was his, I think it was his defense attorney. And this was his closing argument. And it kind of gives an insight to why Bill Haywood could get away. Okay. Uh, I want to say to you, gentlemen, Bill Haywood can't die unless you kill him. You must tie the rope, you 12 men of Idaho. The burden will be on you. If at the behest of this mob you shall kill Bill Haywood, he is mortal, he will die. But I want to say that a million men who grab up the banner of labour at the open grave where Haywood where lays it down, and in spite of prisons or scaffolds or fire, in spite of prosecutions or jury or courts, these men of willing uh, hands will carry it on to victory in the end. Essentially it sounds like he's inciting like further violence <laughs> if Haywood yeah. is. But... Yeah, it's a good story, and trying to make a martyr out of him, kind of thing. Like yeah, that, yeah, there's a book, "A uh, Big Trouble" by a guy called J. Anthony Lucas. He's kind of not a, like not like a very established writer, but he won a Pulitzer Prize, so right. it's good. Um, I actually have it. I've got found it in a charity shop once. It, it seems pretty hard to find. Like, it's probably like you'd have to go to eBay or Amazon if you want to. But if you like, I don't know. If you, if, you, if it, i'll send you it because I, I only read half of it and i'll never finish it if you like <laughs> give us a good review on itunes so. <laughs> 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 it's about this story is yeah. about back backdoor dealings and stuff like absolutely it. let's do our own maybe i didn't like maybe this is the trouble of like talking about a story i already was aware of maybe i didn't do it justice like yeah because it feels like yeah i kind of laid out facts there but like because me reading it originally i was like Everything about it just seemed exciting and awesome to me. Like, I, if I was to write a movie about it, I wouldn't change a thing. Like, it's already <laughs> yeah. an action movie. Like, Yeah, it's all there. I said, sorry, I'm going to go back. Like, but just during the, the, when the Dynamite Express was going on and when they were
0: all... Boarding the train and stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. There was this guy, I can't remember his name. I think Charlie Stringo was his name. And he was, he was in, the he, he was with one of the miners. Yeah. He'd been with them for years. They found out he was actually a spy for the mining company. For yeah, he was one. Of, he was a Pinkerton spy, but he got it really deep in there early on, and he actually worked in the mine. And he used wow. to like lend them money. He was good friends with them, and when they found out, they like chased him to his house and surrounded it, They were going to kill him. He done a Nick Fury, and like dug a drilled a hole really quickly in his house <laughs> and got underground. Was able to crawl. To the next, in like the no. next building, still like the so you say it's like some kind of A building. Yeah, and I, guess, I don't know, I don't know how the whole well, but I'm, I guess there might be those high, you know, those houses that kind of like on stilts or something, right? Um and he crawled through like the neighbor's house in the next one and pretty much
0: done it for like half a
1: mile. Like, That's and then, crazy. like he tunnelled out through like some fucking bridge or something like
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, he was obviously a really good miner if you could dig that well. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, he learned. No wonder they all liked him. Um
0: They were like, hey man, slow down, you're making us all look bad. We might have to go on strike if you keep that up. <laughs> <laughs> but stuff like that, like they're all they'd be great
1: characters in a movie. Yeah. And even well, Dynamite Express is a great name. Big trouble, if you name it after the book like that'd be a good. Oh, yeah.
0: but anyway, that's that. Keeping with um what was murder was this great story I came across. And this is the story of Lord Barrington. Okay, and uh Lord Lord Barrington was his fake name, he wasn't a real Lord, and this is what it's really attracted me to this story. It was just a tiny little column in an old scan of an old newspaper from the thirty first of january nineteen oh six. Um, I'll just give you the first Lord Inverted commas like, Lord Barrington to hang, a Mar- Missouri Supreme Court confirms. Death penalty for bogus noblemen. That was enough to <laughs> yeah. catch my attention and make yeah. me want to research it Also, A decision was handed down in the Supreme Court today affirming the decision to uh, of the lower court in finding Lord Frederick Seymour Barrington guilty of having murdered John P. McCann two years ago and fixing the date of execution as March 15th. Barrington has been confined in jail at, uh, at Clayton since his trial. Uh, so I went back and found of about the trial. So this is his sentencing. It was actually yeah. uh, like this week in 1906. Part of his trial, this from 1904, which is 6th of March, they have, uh, let's see, uh, it, was, it, was, it all happened in St. Louis, this murder. Right. And uh, after deliberating for almost three hours, the jury in the case of Lord Frederick Seymour Barrington tried for the murder of J.P. McCann. A St. Louis horseman, which I later discovered meant he was a gambler, tonight returned a verdict of guilty of murder in the first degree. The penalty is death. Uh, Barrington's attorney immediately filed a motion for, uh, for a new trial. Barrington sat motionless as the verdict was read and retained his composure perfectly. When asked if he had anything to say, he replied, nothing. <laughs> he was then taken back to jail. I just thought, this guy has to be so interesting. Yeah. He, like, pretended to be a lord. I was like, I need to know more of this. So I found, as I did more research, Um, on the 21st of February 1906, the true Republican newspaper of Illinois did the whole story. They laid the whole story first. So I'll probably oh. be doing a lot of reading here, but changed into my own notes. It took me a long time because, as we explained before in other episodes, you get these scans of old newspapers and the websites do um, kind of, it gives you a a translation of it into a a text, but you get loads of errors and everything. Like, this is such an interesting story, to me anyway. For somebody who likes reading Sherlock Holmes. He's like, (laughs) he's such a Sherlock Holmes kind of character. It's such a Sherlock Holmes type story. So I'll get into this now. And I really wanted to see who wrote this, but from what I could figure out from newspapers back in the day, no individual journalists were really credited they never yeah, put their names yeah. under stories it was just like this is the opinion of the paper yeah you know, and which it, always seemed like w- when i'm reading them because
1: sometimes it does but only if it's like a, a famous journalist yeah
0: or they have say your agony aunt yeah, yeah like which yeah. is kind of it might be might be three people in an office but it's like right to auntie ann yeah yeah, you know, that kind of stuff so the criminal romance of lord barrington This is about the remarkable career of George F. Barton, bogus nobleman who went under the name of, was it, Frederick uh, Seymour Barrington. He was convicted, this is just so, three years ago, he was caught for the murder of his friend, John P. McCann. George Frederick Barton, as he persists in calling himself Lord Frederick Seymour Barrington, has had a most extraordinary criminal career. Extending through England and halfway across the American continent, he is only 45 years old but the police records cover uh, that show he has spent nearly three-fourths of that time in prison. (laughs) The record of his crimes covers one uh, successful and one attempted murder, five distinct cases of bigamy, two cases of forgery, innumerable proof of burglary, Cheating at cards, obtaining money by false pretenses, and even common pickpocketing. Through it all, Barrington has stoutly maintained that he is an Englishman of high birth, with a brilliant army record, and a father whose estate and title, he would succeed. Not one of these statements is found on fact. I love this guy. <laughs> I love him so much. Well, I mean, he killed
1: somebody though, you know, it's yeah,
0: wrong yeah. and all. He it, he employed the English Lord game successfully to win the hearts of three American women. But when his story of unlimited wealth, his marvellous word picture of his fictitious ancestral home, Rome, uh, rivaling the grandeur and magnitude of rich architectural beauties um, across England and other like castles, he persisted over by wealthy American girls who married titled Englishmen. These stories kind of, he kind of, um, sorry, stumbling on my words. He wooed, I suppose, a Miss uh, Wil- Wilhelmina Grace Cochran into becoming his wife. It was the beginning of the end. <laughs> 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 These are the little snippets <laughs> I love about this writer. Sorry, he's so good. In quick succession, he was turned out of a fashionable hotel for failure to pay his board bill. Kicked out of his brother in law's home when his deception was discovered. Sentenced to break rock for six months in the city. I love that expression so much. Yeah. Uh, in a city, wor- sorry, to break rock in a city workhouse, released by pardon and then arrested, tried and convicted for the murder of a man who had taken him in and given him a home. His story reads like a criminal romance. His first record of any criminal record of him was when he was seven years old where he, uh, in Tunbridge Wells in England where he set fire to the commons. <laughs> so it's like the boarding houses yeah. that he was living in. Uh, he was taught too young to merit punishment for the offence uh, he later broke it's into prison <laughs> at the age of 10 uh, on July 7th, ten? 1870. Did you right? say 10? Yeah. All right. Okay. That's crazy. He was sentenced to five years and 10 days uh, in the reformatory for embezzlement <laughs> at 10. So he was first put in prison when he was 10 uh, for embezzlement. <laughs> <laughs> ice can't embezzlement even yeah. for which he served five years right in the summer of 1875 when he was 15 he was released from the juvenile prison but on september 7th uh, of the same year he was sentenced to 12 months imprisonment for stealing his master's watch whatever his employment was they, i didn't i couldn't find out uh, By good behaviour, he got out on three-fourths time. But before the year was out, he was in trouble again. (laughs) This guy is such a good story. Um, On July 10th, 1876, so he's now 16, at the Maidstone Assizes, uh, he was sentenced to 10 years penal servitude for burglary. After serving four years of this term, uh, he procured his release upon forged pardon papers. (laughs) <laughs> so he's now what twenty years of age, um so now coming out of prison at twenty he uh as as it was called uh, I love this description it was uh he was at liberty long enough uh this time to make his first matrimonial venture, as in other words, he was out and old enough to start pursuing women yeah, uh, yeah. he married an English girl, got possession of all her property, and deserted her. It seemed impossible for him to keep out of prison, and on October 31st, he was again sentenced uh, at the Maidstone Assizes to 10 years penal servitude and 7 years uh, parole, police supervision, for burglary. After serving out the full 10 years, he made his way across the Atlantic Ocean to try his hand at crime in America. (laughs) So he basically skipped, skipped his parole and came over to
1: America. But, and again, just you were saying, you like, that guy's right, and I just, to try his hand at <laughs>
0: crime in America, that's a great... Yeah. Uh, he turned up in Brooklyn as Sir Frederick uh, Seymour Bur- uh, Burgoyne. uh He was suave of manner and spoke, this is amazing, right? He was suave of manner and spoke English, Spanish, German, French, and other foreign languages fluently. He was of a studious turn of mind and had spent his years of prison life in the mastery of foreign tongues. So this dude was like, I'm in prison again. I'm going to become a master of being, like, suave and a womanizer. Because that was must have been what he made the most money out of was when yeah, he married yeah. somebody. Uh, and he came up with this idea of being... Like a rich lord from England going to America, so he learned loads of languages so he could train himself to come <laughs> across as really educated. Um. So, uh, so when he decided, in his faultless English, the beauties of his imaginary villa in, uh, Kent, to Celeste Elizabeth Miller of Brooklyn, he was ready. She was ready to believe him, and that was in 19, uh, 1891. Excuse me. Uh, Miss Miller married him and returned with him to England. After having disposed of all of her property, she went with him to London, where she lived with him for a few sad weeks. He rented an apartment and furnished it luxuriously, buying the furniture on time payments and then selling it off a few days later <laughs> to make money to keep up his appearances. He finally succeeded in getting her, uh, her last do- the, the last dollar his wife possessed and then deserted her, leaving her with a small child to provide for he was arrested uh, soon after while courting uh, the daughter of a vicar, um, and sentenced to another long term in prison. Uh, he, uh, sorry, his wife made her way back to Brooklyn and took in washing to earn livelihood for herself and the child. The next official entry of Barrington's record shows that he was released uh, from the Dartmoor prison on December thirteenth, nineteen hundred. Uh, there's no record of him uh, of his movements during the next two years, but uh, we yet again get a trace of him <laughs> in Brooklyn, where he reappeared to try and get his wife to take him back in. uh but she was she was she had enough experience of him, and she turned a deaf ear to his humble requests. Uh he was employed for a brief period as a coachman in New York, but soon drifted to New Jersey, or to sorry to Jersey City, uh and there. To Philadelphia, where in December nineteen O two he married a wealthy young woman, her name was never given uh, on any public account, because of the prominence of her family. Uh, elaborate preparations were made for her wedding, and she wore a f- a five hundred dollar uh, trousseau. Now, this I looked up, <laughs> right. as in what is a trousseau, and it's basically Everything a bride has. So it's including her bridal accessories, jewellery, lingerie, toiletries, makeup. Um, Like women in those days, they would keep kind of like a chest and it was kind of like a a keepsake chest for all the things they'd need to prepare to be married. And so there was even included in this was like bed linen for your first bed and uh, all the jewellery hand-me-downs from your mother all that kind of stuff. Like everything you'd wear. So she wore like... It's $500 worth of, like, proper, like, suave stuff, right? Oh. This is where it gets a little bit weird, right? What seemed to be his only plan, which as far as I can understand from what I'm using, when the ceremony, uh, so she, she wore this $500 dress when the ceremony was performed. He lured her on to Cincinnati, where he deserted and got away with her trunks. He just robbed her. Oh. Like, he basically just married her so he could get her to go somewhere with all her expensive yeah, shit. Yeah. Oh. And then just robbed her. <laughs> like, he was already starting to... Well, he was a,
1: once, leaving a kid. Oh like no, He's but just think, a
0: scumbag. Now. you <laughs> think he would just be holding out for, like, kill her and get her inheritance yeah. or something. But no, he just robbed her, her clothes and her expensive stuff. <laughs> like, it seems like a lot of effort for just robbing somebody. But... <laughs> you know, yeah... yeah. Well, <laughs> a lot of effort, but not much on his part, no. really. Because, I as you read through this, I think a lot of it was just he was also really enjoyed womanizing. Yeah, I think he was just he he enjoyed the honeymoon period, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then uh, and then fked off. He was just
1: a scumbag, like,
0: <laughs> but a genius as well. I, yeah. Well. Um, as we go on to, um, his, his the trunks which, uh. He took, uh, contained most of her costly wedding outfit. Some of her clothing um, was found in his trunks, which were held by the Southern Hotel in St. Louis when he fa- pay- failed to pay his bill. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> um, in St. Louis, he appeared uh, under the high sounding title of Lord Frederick Seymour Barrington for the first time. Uh, Captain in his majesty's horse guard was apparently his story. Early in January, he wrote his name on the register of the Southern Hotel. The next day, there appeared in the local newspaper the following advertisement. Matrimony. Honourable English gentleman, 38, of high uh, social rank, desires to correspond with refined, educated, non-mercenary, eligible lady with view to honourable marriage, no agents, (laughs) Um, (laughs) what an ad (laughs) Barrington lived at the hotel for a few days and then removed to a fashionable boarding house uh, conducted by uh, Miss (laughs) K.R. Elliot whose beautiful younger sister Miss Wilhelmina Grace Cochran who we heard of at the very start of kansas city came to visit soon after her english guest took lodgings in her house in less than two weeks barrington had completely won the heart of the kansas city girl who he thought was the daughter of a wealthy pork packer i couldn't find any more as to whether that was the actual fact or not but he seemed to believe she was wealthy but they were obviously not unwealthy yeah 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 um, on January 16th, 1903, the wedding ceremony was performed by the pastor of the most fashionable churches in St. Louis. Um, Barrington told Miss Cochrane amazing stories of his wealth and titles. He said he had millions in England and owned a magnificent castle of 600 rooms in Brighton. He told her that after the wedding in St. Louis, they would go to Washington to be remarried in the British Embassy and then sail for England where they would be entertained with great pomp and ceremony by his titled relatives one wing of the splendid castle he told her had been reserved for their living quarters only by uh, only his mother and intimate relatives would uh, occupy their way palace with them Uh, lord and lady barrington as they became known went back to the hotel to live Uh, their honeymoon was uh, was of just a week's duration uh, in that time, however, Miss Cochrane had written letters, or glowing written home glowing letters of her happiness, telling her parents how proud they should be uh, that their daughter had married a member of the nobility. Now here's a little comment from our writer. Alas, the poor girl. <laughs> um, James F. Cochrane, her brother, came down from Kansas to investigate uh, the record of the royal relative uh, who's, who pretended to be in this country to spy on British councils. Uh, it did not take him long to discover that Lord Frederick Seymour Barrington was a rank imposter. So being a good brother, he kicked him out of the house and <laughs> had him arrested. Um, a charge of disturbing the peace was lodged against him. Uh, he was tried before an this is this is guy you gave it. This is one of these things, amazing things with the writer that you have to remember. Uh, he was tried before an Irish police judge, who saw an opportunity to even up an old score with the oppressors of his home country, <laughs> 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 and he sens- sentenced the pretend English lord to six months in the city workhouse. Uh, <laughs> and there's a callback to that later on as well. Uh, <laughs> So Barrington went to the rock pile in shackles once more (laughs) where he was compelled to associate with hundreds of petty criminals. Um, So as this kind of goes on I'm trying not to read too much, sorry. I'm reading a lot. Um, So there was a public feeling that he'd been unjustly unjustly dealt with. So uh, while he was severely condemned for passing as an English lord for the purposes of influencing Miss Cochrane to marry him there was still enough sympathy for him to obtain his pardon at the hands of the mayor, Rola Wells. After Barrington was released from the workhouse, he was employed for a few weeks as manager of a Broadway saloon. The proprietor of the saloon found uh, he had made a mistake in trusting Barrington and discharged him. Now, it was while he was working at this saloon that he met a very nice, generous man of McCann, or uh, J.P. McCann, uh, who was a follower of the racetrack, or a horseman, if a you horseman. will? <laughs> yeah. Um, at times, had considerable money, and he one day he walked into this uh, the saloon and had, handed Barrington a fifty-dollar note. Um, after Barrington lost his position, and uh, he'd obviously they become quite close friends, and McCann took him into his own house and provided him with everything he needed. Here in the home, another Irish man. Uh, the same English lord had found a refuge so soon after escaping the punishment from a Celtic jurist <laughs> that, that a Celtic jurist <laughs> had inflicted upon him which, I love this concept <laughs> I've put in a note here saying this is where it gets nuts <laughs> alright this is one of these things is I can't figure out what the motive was here but, but this is the setup, up okay, of so, not more than a month can last. Sorry, can yeah.
1: I, just before you go into that part, because you said about the £50 note, just want to rem- Yeah. £50 note in what we. What year's $50 been, note, or 1903. $50 note, 1903.
0: 1903.
1: That's a huge amount of money for just.
0: To just hand somebody yeah, like, yeah,
1: yeah, Put it this way, the miners we're talking about with the, yeah. the Bill Hunker miners, they're getting paid $3.50 a day. So, that's yeah. how much £50 is. Just as just always. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's like, so, three, say. If it was there on half wages, it's probably the equivalent of about maybe $100 today, even less, would be the $350, would yeah, be, yeah, like, yeah. in spending.
1: Well, £50, like, that could be, like, would that be a month's wage?
0: $50, oh, yeah, it's a, yeah, so there, it's a lot. It's of, like somebody walking into you today and handing you, like, $1,000 yeah, yeah. and going, there you go, buddy, buy yourself a drink. You're a swell guy.
1: <laughs> I just, like, we all, anytime we mention money, we always kind of give an example of what that yeah. means, just...
0: We have we we always around you. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So then, to give you more perspective of it, about a month went by, and he was living in the house, and they were like good buddies, and um, and that he started telling, uh, Barrington started telling McGann the story of that he was due a pension from uh, the army, from the British government, uh, and he oh, no. he, cla- he claimed the amount was one thousand five hundred dollars. Now, that's in total, so it would be, like, a lump sum. Yeah. So, to give you perspective, that's a lump sum of 1,500, of how much 50 was. Like, a lump sum of, that's his entire pension for him to live off for the rest of his life, kind of thing. Yeah. Is what he was setting out. Uh, He told McCann that he had some English friends in St. Louis who would advance him $1,000 on the pension uh, if he gave them the papers. That they could wait for it to come through, and they'd make the profit right. of five hundred McCann it uh, sounds like
1: an Algerian <laughs> <I know>, yeah
0: <laughs> McCann was like, "There's no way you can let that happen. That's terrible. you're like getting a really bad disadvantage rate so um he was eh uh, rebuked yeah McCann rebuked him for wanting to dispose of the pension certificates at such a disadvantage when he could get all the money by waiting a few months. So at this point, I was thinking, this is just an excuse to kind of like, oh, I'm not gonna mooch off you forever. Yeah, you know, I've got this money coming towards me. Just give me another few months, you know. But like McCann was just totally chill and was like, yeah, man, well, yeah, you know, we're 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 housemates now. Kind of, he was just like, I had a good day at the track. Kind of character, like he just didn't care at all. He seemed really kind of laid back, but very stuck in his ways. And so, so McCann offered to provide for him until such a time as he could get his own money, but Barrington insisted. Upon being independent, Uh, he wanted someone to go with him into the country, or into the county, to witness the transfer of the papers. Uh, Day after day for two weeks, he begged McCann to go with him to the county. McCann slept late every morning, as was his habit, uh, and he spent his afternoons at the racetrack. And he was very much a man of his habit and never wanted to break his habit and that kind of stuff. He found it impossible to go in the at daytime but finally upon a ceaseless er, after serious like begging and persistence from Barrington he consented to go uh, at night his folly cost him his life (laughs) (laughs) I'm half reading here but every time there's a great sentence like that I'm reading it directly from the writer Uh, the pension story was only a lie uh, devised to get McCann to the spot rarely and painstakingly selected for his murder. Barrington McCann left uh, their residence at about 7 o'clock uh, on the evening of June 19th, 1903. They went first to a summer garden on the outskirts of the city and at about 10 o'clock boarded a suburban car for Bond for bon Station. 20 miles from St. Louis, they left the streetcar together. About a quarter past 11 o'clock And walked off into the woods. Five minutes later. Two shots were heard. And the the voice of McCann. Well this is kind of conjecture. A voice was heard. uh, Heard pleading for mercy. But his appeals were in vain. For after he had been shot down. The murderer cut his throat. Just to make sure of his work. This murderer proved that Barrington. Was most skillful as a plotter of crimes. Their surroundings were ideal. For the perpetration of a murder. It was a lonely place uh, near the Missouri, liver, er, Missouri River. Mighty trees grow there and the underbrush bush grows thick. There is a large quarry pond, abandoned years ago and filled with water, uh, stands nearby. Uh, a, m- a more lonely place at night cannot be imagined. After McCann's uh, life was uh, ebbed away, the murderer had to dispose of the body. The clothing was stripped from it and it was uh, dragged through the underbrush to the brink of an 80 foot embankment overlooking the quarry. One shove and the body shot downward. The splash below told the murderer that his work had been well done. <laughs> no eye had seen, seen him fire the fatal shots. Only a faithful railroad watchman a mile away had heard the, the, the two sh- uh, shots of the pistol and the dying appeal of McCann for mercy. But here his hand lost its cunning. (laughs) This is is where it gets really odd. cleverness of plotting gave way to... He proceeded with appalling stupidity to wind enough circumstantial evidence about himself to hang 20 men covered with stains of blood. Wearing the murdered murdered man's hat and coat, carrying his cane with McCann's watch, money, and papers in his pocket, he turned at the midnight hour to retrace his steps to St. Louis. Upon reaching the suburbs of the city, he proceeded on the car to McCann's home. Uh, he removed the clothing and gave it to a porter to hang out the fence in plain view of, of the first detective who came along. He invented a remarkable story to explain McCann's disappearance. He told Miss McCann that her husband had gone into uh, gotten into a fight with two men at the summer garden and drove away with some women in a carriage. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: oh. That's such a ridiculous like, st- Not
0: only did your husband run away, but first he got into a fight with some men because he's terrible, you know. So um right, he, and, and he, then he ran away with some women. But the
1: fact that, yeah, like yeah. it's like he just drove off with like these young blondes under each arm, like yeah, after winning a fight like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: throwing money around. <laughs> yeah. wow. He himself had been knocked down. Uh, defending McCann, and lay in the gutter all night... uh, While McCann went off with the women, according to his story. Yeah. So plausibly did he tell his story that Miss McCann was deceived for several days, and even so shrewd a detective uh, as Chief William Desmond believed it when Barrington was arrested on suspicion of being responsible for the disappearance of McCann. On the strength of his tale, Barrington was released, but was... uh, rearrested on June 27th when the body of McCann was discovered floating on the surface of the quarry pond. As it went on later, they could never confirm for definite if that was McCann's body, but they Pretty were very, very in sure it was him. him. Yeah. Um, um, in his bunglesome attempt to hide the crimes, Barrington wrote letters... Uh, purporting to come from McCann and had them delivered to Miss McCann by messenger boys. When arrested, he stoutly denied the crime. He viewed the body after it was taken from the quarry pond and insisted that it was not that of McCann. Uh, he hoped that prosecution would not be able to prove, was it, corpus delecti, which is, like, proved that it was his body. He declared McCann had gone away and would return day. It's like American psych Yeah. He was tried in the clayton circuit uh, court and sentenced to death Uh, a stranger from arkansas sent him the money to appeal his case to the supreme court later during the court came to evidence that there was a mysterious murder of an army officer in india somewhat similar to that of mccann's murder uh, has been attributed to barrington who is said to have served a short time in the English army as a bodyguard to the captain who was murdered. That murder is said to have occurred around 1901, a short time before Barrington made his his reappearance in America. The St. Louis police authorities have never been able to gather the details of that crime. It has now been nearly three years since Barrington first appeared in St. Louis, with the exception of less than three months of that time has been in prison. At his trial, he surprised everybody in the courtroom by taking a verbatim report and, uh, of the evidence in shorthand so he was almost like he, he seemed like a really educated guy even though he spent most of his life in jail from the age of 10 yeah. <laughs> he learned to read and write he learned languages he could, he knew shorthand like proper scribble shorthand he has spent the spare time of his long years of confinement in study he has written thousands of papers of manuscript in the clayton jail but he steadfastly refuses to give a hint of what he is doing. He says simply that he's writing a book to be published after he's released from prison. It may be a history of the years that he spent behind bars. Basically, yeah, he caused loads of trouble for just the case there. He constantly and stoutly denied the crime. He just always came across as really polite and nice to the courts. They found it really hard to kinda of convict him and stuff. In the Clayton jail, within the Shadow of the Gallows, has o- he's always been an accomplished liar, admitting one lie while inventing another, <laughs> and always denying that he was George Frederick Barton, which is his birth name. Yeah. Uh, though uh, the Bertillian pictures identify him positively. I did a bit of research on this. The Bertillion pictures is uh, it was this uh, system invented in 1879 by Alphonse uh, Bertillian. He invented a method com- uh, that combined detailed measurement and classification of unique features with frontal and profile pictures of suspects and which recorded uh, the information on standardized cards and orderly files. Bertillon's system was based on five prim- primary measurements. Head length, head breadth, length of the middle finger, the length of the left foot, the length of the... Uh, cubit, the forearm, from the elbow to the extremity of the middle finger. Each principal heading was further subdivided into three classes of small, medium, and large. The length of the little finger and the eye colour were also recorded. Bertillion's system was the, was later overtaken by fingerprints, but the Bertillion mugshot is still used today, which is the whole front and sideways yeah, mugshot, yeah, was yeah. he first invented that.
1: Oh. That's um,
0: interesting. So even though he claimed he was Lord Barrington... And they were like, no, you're George Frederick Barrington... B- uh, Barton. He never, ever, like, gave into it. He was just like, I just look like that guy. I have nothing to do with him. And they're like, but the, the Bertillion pictures don't lie. was their... It seems like a very precise system. Uh, so he seemed to care more for the appearance of his dress... Than for his liberty. Uh, for an hour he would refuse to be photographed... And then willingly consent to pose for a picture... Uh, for the price of a shave <laughs> so he didn't <laughs> want his picture taken until he was like cleaned up and good looking so in planning his crimes he was always shown he has always shown a flash of cleverness but he was such a burglar at concealing them that the service of a Sherlock Holmes were not needed to fasten them up <laughs> <laughs> he seeks always to be himself with an air of mystery he cannot be uh, induced to talk about his past but in uh, uniformly advance advances the plea that he is suffering for another man's crimes <laughs> uh, and that's that whole article pretty much um <laughs> that's kind of the it right so he was sentenced to death alright um in of uh babe. so this was I first picked up this story which was this week they were starting his sentencing. Um, and then he was actually sentenced in, I think I said April, or late February of uh, 1906. So I just thought, oh, I want to look into this. Like, did, did they execute him? This? But, but he appealed his sto- his trial so much, he spent most of his time in the courtroom more than he did in prison. <laughs> right. And I found an article from uh, April 25th, 1909. Right. Uh, Barrington was reprieved five times. And the last, a little more than a year ago, uh, Governor Folk commuted his sentence to life imprisonment rather than meeting the gallows. On the lack of identification of the body that they found, thought to believe to be McCann, uh, the case was most sensational in the history of St. Louis. Barrington all the while maintains his connection with the British nobility and asserting he kept his name secret because he didn't want to embarrass his parents in England. (laughs) And, sadly, that's the last record I could find of him. Oh, really? So you don't yeah. know what happened to him? I really wanted to know. I, I just thought, oh, maybe his memoirs became a yeah, book yeah. and stuff, and I couldn't find it anywhere. The only thing I could find was there was a record um, matching his name um, in archives from St. Louis that, on their website, all you can do is see the headline of the things, and right. you can book to go see them. So, for everyone in St. Louis, I'm going to look it up. (laughs) But they were dated uh, between 1913 and 1918. So, he was at least still alive around then. And Mm -hmm. this was more appeals on his side of trying to... So, it was kind of like it was the court archives of what happened. But that's the most I could find out about him.
1: Well, we can add that to the list of Kickstarters. Like, with Building a Park in Coney Island. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. what was it? Oh well, I guess they're the only two. on a trip to St. Louis. I guess yeah, Flan yeah. and Isles will have to go to do. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But, oh yeah. Too. But
0: what an interesting character. Yeah. What? But like, what a scumbag as well, though. Like what? I know, a... but the thing I don't get is, is, like he came up with like he got taken in by McCann, and then spent. What if he's telling the truth? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe McCann like went off with a couple of blondes oh, yeah. I forget into a fight. Um. But I, but like he had this whole story of trying to get these this army pension thing, which wasn't true. But I don't mm. get why, I don't get why he killed him. He just seemed to, yeah, he seemed to just think he could just kill him and take over his life. Like he he literally killed him for like his hat and coat and wallet. Yeah. <laughs> but well, he took a month to plan he's it. Like
1: quite it. far gone at that point. Like he's I done th- th- it
0: so much. Is it just getting away I, with yeah, it? I, at th- th- that I point? think that's kind of it. Like he's just, and that's it. We don't know what happened. Uh, no, really, that... sadly, I couldn't find any more. I wanted to know how long he lived, how long he survived in jail or anything. I searched and Googled him loads. I'm going to try and find out more if I can. Uh, it requires further research. Yeah, yeah, But that's, that's like, as much as I could find about him. Such an interesting story and in character. Just bizarre. Well, we also had this week the first federal
1: penitentiary opened. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw that when I was looking for stories. Well, this is phrased. I'm not sure what way you saw, but it's phrased differently in... It's like the first federal penitentiary was completed, first opened. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of none of them. It's weird because... Well, first of all, like a, a federal... It's a federal penitenti- uh, penitentiary, so... And it's the first one. It is a new thing, so... For all intents and purposes, it was the, the first. Or, well, no, it just was the first. But it's more the timing that's a bit messy. Mm. Uh, So, this is... Leavenworth
0: wasn't well, it? They were building it for a really long time, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, well, sure. Every building's gonna be <laughs> yeah, yeah, but... gonna take a while. Back then, yeah. So this is Leavenworth. Uh, it's still open today. It's a medium security prison uh, under the United States federal prison system uh, for male inmates. Yeah, well, and federal law is still that's a new thing at this point. And you know, a federal government—it's just a group of political units. Yeah, coming together like states provinces joining into a federation and just a central government controlling it but retaining like some of their state rights a lot of people like it because you associate with just america um, yeah, yeah but it's like it goes beyond mm-hmm. no it's there's like so many countries have a federal yeah. government like australia brazil canada germany malaysia like across yeah. the board like there's laws. russia i think are or at least maybe soviet union where You've done your research. <laughs> that was a long list. <laughs> oh, that's I don't that's like just still off the top of your head. Yeah, there are oh, there's oh, well. loads more with that. Okay, like I think Mex. Did I say Mex Mexico? Are too? I think I don't know, but there's yeah, there's a bunch. I don't think like a uh, federal prison isn't like I don't think Australia don't have a federal prison. They've got a federal government, but they don't have yeah. a federal prisons. So the, the, there's no federal prison, but I think Brazil do. Maybe not Brazil I and mean, Mexico, Canada do anyway yeah um and the federal prison kind of means different things in different ones like in u.s it's for people who violate federal law but i think in like brazil it's only people who are really dangerous so where in america you federal law is so vast that you can have serial killers and just tax cheats oh, okay. but in brazil it will just be serial killers yeah, yeah and then yeah, in yeah. other countries it might just be tax cheats so the prison uh, okay, system yeah. kind of uh very it differs but back to leavenworth like so that did exist for years and years it was like built in 1827 by a uh, a general henry leavenworth and that's where it got its name obviously but in 1875 the fort was chosen as the site for a military prison and in a year of it opening a house to 300 uh, prisoners so it was already a prison, and around 1895 it transferred into US the Department of Justice. It's still a military prison at this point, but it's just been looked after by the Department of Justice. But then in 1891 in America they introduced uh, the Tree Prisons Act, and this pretty much just authorised the federal government uh, to build the first federal penitentiaries. And pretty much the reason for that was because after the Civil War, just other prisons, or just penal institutions in general, just were really, really crowded, Ugh, crowded, <laughs> crowded, and you know re- resources so low they were just reluctant to accept inmates who had been sentenced in federal courts. So yeah. they were just looking after like a random... like New York. We're just like, ...nah, we're only gonna take prisoners that were convicted in New York. Oh, okay, yeah. So for fe- well, for kind of federal crimes, essentially they weren't taking those prisoners so they needed to build prisons just for them and yeah then in like 1896 the house judiciary the judiciary (laughs) um talking too fast now uh they chose this site although they recommended that the facility be replaced and uh, because it was too small they just just wanted a new they wanted to knock down this prison and build a new one yeah congress accepted that and authorised a new building but they didn't actually just knock it down they just built it like a mile up the road oh yeah okay yeah and the old one still exists but uh but what's cool is the warden at the time warden french like he was overseeing the building of the new penitentiary the federal one and so every day six days a week well, yeah almost every day for two and a half decades he uh merged his prisoners two and a half miles or um, whatever the distance was. it's far anyway i think it like let's say it's three miles i think that might actually be what it is to where the new site was going to be and put them to work oh to build it yeah yeah oh oh, that's clever (laughs) and they worked they'd done that every day up until this week february the 1st 1906 when they Uh. finished that's when they completed it and when they (laughs) completed it they were transferred into it. <laughs> they <laughs> built their own prison. Real, yeah, they literally built their own prison. Like the what, um, you know what? system of a down cell.
0: They probably deserved it.
1: But now technically, that just sounded better saying that they, complete, that they completed it in on the 1st and that's when they moved into it. Which is all true. But actually a few years, like in 1903, they'd actually built the like the East Wing of it by that point. I think it was the East Wing. Yeah. and at that point they were able to move like 400 prisoners into it mainly and the argument was that the four if they moved the four, 400 if they halved them and moved some of the prisoners there earlier they would be closer to work in the morning
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> um
0: yeah so they, they would have taken so long yeah
1: it? so the first 400 were actually moved there in 1903 so i would consider that when Once you move prisoners into the new prison and they become federal inmates, I would consider that when it opens. Yeah. But whereas technically it was was all completed in uh, 1906 on the 1st. I mean, even to go back further, like once they actually announced it was 1895 when it like it it became went under federal jurisdiction so that's actually when it became a federal prison but yeah and it was the first it was the first that part's through the second was the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary and that, that opened in Georgia in 1902 the third federal site was on McNeil Island in Washington State and that was in 1907 and those are the only three federal prisons up until 1925 and now they're just all over the place Leavenworth has a lot of famous in me james j bulger was there he only done a year of oh, whitey well, bulger irish mob boss and he done a year there uh also basil the owl banghart who was a burglar and just a con man he uh, he was an awesome guy like he uh he was involved in like a uh, Fake kidnapping. There was a, we're actually going to get to him, and th- that's oh, yeah. why I mentioned this is what the only re- the or not the only reason, but so many people we're going to talk about. Like we're going to get to James J. Bulger at some point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we I hope we get to Basil the Owl Banghart. Um, <laughs> he Say that again. Basil, Basil, the Owl Banghart. Wow. Do uh, He had big eyes. He's called the Owl. He's like a proper cat burglar. He escaped from Leavenworth three times.
0: Wow. But And he escaped from other prisons. Like, he was a, a escape yeah. artist. Yeah. If we don't land on him, we're going to talk about him anyway.
1: Yeah, and I, I kind of like the idea of doing so. episodes. I'm not so inclined to talk about this guy, but Carl uh, Panzram uh, was there too, who's just a serial killer who, you know, sodomized about a thousand men. Oh, lovely. Young men. Uh, like, he's a like an awful human being. Uh, James Earl Ray... Served there for, I think, only a year, like
0: very early fifties. He was let out in the fifties before he became the voice of Darth Vader, James Earl Jones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. James
1: James Earl Ray was quite the opposite uh, in what he done. To, he went on to assassinate Martin Luther King. Oh right, sorry, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just but, heard
0: James Earl and remember that. Sorry, I should have known that.
1: That
0: was um, terrible. But yeah, that <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible. I'm sorry. I apologise to the world for my lack of history knowledge <laughs> on a history podcast. Like, you imagine if he
1: was, uh, I think he was only in there on like right. tax evasion or something, not even tax evasion, but it was a very, pe- it was a federal crime, but a pe- very petty one. Yeah. But Jesus, if they kept him in there, imagine <laughs> different things could be. <laughs> they probably won't be because actually somebody would probably assassinate him anyway. But yeah. I think, um, Ch- is it Chelsea Manning? No, far formerly Bradley Manning? The soldier that leaked
0: all the the documents, the WikiLeaks. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, although the military... the military, I think the military prison's still open. There's a military in, prison
0: nearby, isn't there? Yeah. I remember I did the tiniest bit of research on this and went, uh, ah, it's not worth well, going that'd into. that would have been the original
1: prison. That's where yeah, they yeah.
0: So I guess they'd be going there.
1: Although, I don't know, because their guilt... Like, it'd be federal crime it'd be federal crime but also they are in the army so yeah I I did I'd go into one of them it's hard to tell yeah
0: but that's uh, yeah
1: it's a quick one but mainly because we'll come to those people and again I'm sure there's more interesting stories there I know like fights broke out while they were building it I know like one (laughs) of the uh, prison guard was murdered at one point like there's little I don't want to go into them just because I trail off too much as is but yeah, also this week, we, um, and this is, you know, it's not a cheat because this is, this just would never, of course, have been news this week. Oh, okay. But we already done this with Cary Grant. We had more fun with Cary Grant. It was easier to phrase him, to put him into the newsreel. But we couldn't with uh, Clyde Tombaugh. But he definitely deserves to be mentioned because he was born this week. He was born on February 4th, 1906. And maybe people don't know who Clyde Tombaugh is. But you've seen his work. Uh, he was an American astronomer, and he discovered wow. many asteroids, but most famously discovered the dwarf planet Pluto of course, and um, for a long time you had all these all these foreigners were discovering all the planets, and he was like he was the first American astronomer to discover something that big and yeah, it was all like he discovered pluto, it was also the the first uh like the first discovery in the kuiper belt yeah so he's weren't mentioned based on that there's more to him of course yeah. but just that alone like because he, he's an awesome guy he uh he he, well, he never went to college oh really well he did but after after he discovered pluto he he got oh, right. uh, a scholarship as a result because wow. he don't really No, he um he uh grew up in in or he was born in illinois and then he moved to Kansas with his family to yeah. run, run the farm. And apparently there was some like really bad hailstorm during the winter that destroyed their farm, and That's it kind of shattered all his dreams of going to college. He had to stay and work on the farm because they were quite poor. Yeah. And this is yeah they had to moved in like this 1922 when they moved there. So he just he became a farmer. And but he. uh He he taught himself trigonometry and geometry. He it's self-taught. He he built all his own the the telescopes he He, used. He built himself. Yeah, and like bits of a tractor, some car parts. Like I've seen them. Anybody listen? Go on YouTube, and you can see um, Neil deGrasse Tyson goes and visits uh, visits his family because his wife she only died in like two thousand and twelve, and all the kids were there, and they're amazing. Like they're. (laughs) <laughs> to even talk about like some of them being steam powered and stuff, like that's crazy. Like, one of them has a coke, a coke can is the lens cap on it. No, way. <laughs> yeah, like completely both, but they still work. Like, and they're in the uh blanking on names, but that famous observatory,
0: Smithsonian, or
1: not Smithsonian, uh, but the one, I'm sorry, the
0: observatory is the Smithsonian's museum, yeah. Um, although
1: they're probably like, I'm sure there's something there yeah. too, but impressive as all hell, like, and that's, yeah, and sorry, yeah, and so he, he, he earned a bachelor's and master's degree much later in life, uh well, in 1936 and 38, yeah, yeah. and as a result of discovering that. Yeah, so really awesome dude, and i highly recommend reading up anything about this guy, and he's somebody you don't even hear an awful lot about. No, no. Like, but like, that's it's such a great story, and it's actually, uh, you've seen Interstellar, yeah? Yeah, yeah like it reminds cuz you know he's a I like he's the Eddie. Just a farmer he's he yeah face, yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool i uh, that all, all true interstellar it's like it's like Clyde Tombaugh Tombaugh it's a really it's a weird name yeah Yeah, another interesting thing about him is he also called for serious scientific research into unidentified flying objects. Uh, We touched on UFOs a little bit last week. Um, In 1941, he witnessed a flash on Mars that he assumed to be some sort of nuclear explosion. And years later, um, he noted that the f- this is just something he said years later. later. He said, like, uh, the first atomic bombs tested in New Mexico here on yeah. Earth uh, would have lit up the dark side of the Earth. He described it as like a neon sign, but basically yeah. saying that it lit up the Earth enough that they would have been visible from Mars. Essentially. Oh, OK. So, yeah. And he also pointed out that around this, uh, around the time we were testing nuclear bombs, uh, Mars was quite close to Earth. And so, yeah, his implication being that if we can let off a nuke that can be visible from Mars, then one could go off there that would be visible from for Earth. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he was saying, like, they were trying to communicate with nuclear bombs. That no, that there was more Martians.
0: Like, where they were very similar to us in evolution or in our technology
1: i didn't yeah i think it was just like people that's a lot of reading into it but i think he was just saying because some people are like there was not no you couldn't have seen that
0: oh and he's like well
1: actually actually you could have seen earth from mars so yeah. he i don't think he, at that point anyway he wasn't given I don't oh, think. okay he called for investigation to ufo and the existence of extraterrestrials but i don't think he would have ever believed something could be that close
0: okay yeah yeah.
1: um He was more well maybe or maybe it was a aliens from another planet testing on mars yeah yeah. but no there's other ones in new mexico he described seeing objects in the sky uh, and it's just a direct quote from him a geometrical group of faint bluish green rectangles of light i've done thousands of hours of night sky watching but never saw a sight so strange as this From my own studies of the solar system, I cannot entertain any serious possibility for intelligent life on other planets, not even on Mars. The logistics of visitations from planets revolving around the nearer stars is staggering. In consideration of hundreds of millions of years in geologic time scale, when such visits may have possibly occurred, the odds of a single visit in a given century or millennium are overwhelmingly against such an event. A much more likely source of explanation is some natural optical phenomenon in our own atmosphere. I've never seen anything like this before, or since. I have spent a lot of time with the night sky where the night sky could be seen so well. This this, this suggests that the phenomenon involves comparatively rare set of conditions or circumstances to produce it, but not unlike the odds of interstellar visitation. <laughs> so, he's dismissing it. Yeah, yeah. He has no explanation. But it could be... Well, he's not dismissing... The caused by yeah.
0: an asteroid being near
1: Earth or anything. Something they, they don't yet understand. Yeah. And it's a long... I might edit that down a bit. but That's a long one, but that was his explanation after 1949. Yeah. Then in 1950 or 51, I'm a bit unsure, he saw a similar sign, uh, and he described this one as green fireballs. Now, green fireballs they are sighted or were sighted a lot there was an entire investigation into oh, okay. what they were uh they were just unidentifiable objects that were seen through telescopes really heavily between like 1948 and the 1950s and he saw them there, this was quite similar to that earlier sight and only he he saw it for longer yeah, I think he saw this one for three and a half seconds, as opposed to like the the one Split second. Seconds, yeah, yeah. I thought making out, <laughs> <laughs> but but in just to, like it was something close to that. Like these yeah, yeah. these encounters are so, so
0: brief. It must have been so. Uh, but the thing it persists for a couple of years. The same similar to last week's episode of the lights that's in wales Is yeah, that where you're going with it? <laughs> well
1: there's nothing more to it that, that's close to it but just i just like mention it because of what we were talking about last week yeah, yeah yeah a bit of alien talk about this at least but but he definitely seen this one and he had no explanation for this um and because a lot of people were seeing this this site but despite his the d- d- despite h- him seeing it uh the final report of The the, the official report of what was eventually called Project Twinkle, which was about the sightings of these, uh, claimed that he he never observed an unexplainable aerial object. That was in the final report, despite the fact that he continuously (laughs) talked about it. In the final report, said he never saw it. Oh okay, but he was like but yes I did. Yeah <laughs> Um and the quote of his, from him in relation to that is I have seen three objects. this is about these uh, green fireballs. This is quite different from his the earlier quote. Okay, yes. Yeah, yeah. I have seen three objects within the past seven years which defied any explanation of known phenomena such as Venus, atmospheres atmospheres, optics, meteors or planes. I am a professional, highly skilled observant astronomer. In addition, I have seen three green fireballs, which were unusual in behavior from scores of normal green fireballs. I think that several reputable scientists are being unscientific in refusing to entertain the possibility of extraterrestrial origin and nature. It is yet too early for any decision of finality. So that's quite a different tone. Yeah. Looks like he's starting to... Question things and then in eighteen or eighteen in, <laughs> in 1953... after he time traveled uh-huh. <laughs> that'd be interesting but in yeah in, in nineteen fifty three uh, the Army Office of Ordnance Research began to sponsor a search for near Earth satellites and you know the idea uh, and yeah Clyde Tombaugh was working on this and the idea with this was that they presumed the near earth satellites could be potential could be used for space stations oh right. but it's suggested that they might covertly have been looking for ufos oh, okay yeah, well yeah. Uh, mainly because clyde Tombaugh was working on it
0: people are like
1: Ooh. that's new earth satellites yeah uh but he did he always denied it and yeah, yeah and apparently like He's, he apparently he was an awesome guy, really nice. Hated being famous, didn't like the spotlight he got from discovering Pluto, Man. but was a good guy. What's really cool, apparently in well, not apparently, it's true. I, I saw it in, in the Neil Tyson show. Uh, the, his hometown, the church there, have on the stained glass windows. Yeah, they have his discovery of Pluto. Oh, okay. illustrated. which is pretty awesome because how many scientists have their life? Depicted on a stained glass window in a church, <laughs> church. <laughs> like it. It seems contradictory. But yeah, I yes, suppose. So he's a cool guy, and yeah, so he's worth mentioning. He's born this week, and that's all. To the that's all our stories. Well, big stories. We have some smaller stories.
0: Do you have more weird murders for me. I have a
1: weird. I've got a few good ones for you here. Um, Dreams of fire. It comes true. This is from the L.A. Herald. Ooh. Uh, in Fall city uh, fe- this from February fifth as well uh, when Dr. Kerr and his wife had seated themselves at the breakfast- table this morning, Mrs. Kerr commenced to relate the story of a dream she had in the night. She had dreamed that their house was on fire and was giving a vivid description of the excitement she had undergone and of the damage done by the ho- to the house. Her story was interrupted by an unceremonious arrival of a neighbor's son who burst into the room exclaiming that their house was in flames. The house had caught fire from a defective electric light wire. Considerable damage was done to the house and their contents before the flames were extinguished. The psychic phenomenon presented by Mrs. Kerr's dreams is causing much discussion. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that is brilliant
1: what she think? think that's true you think there's some psychic player
0: so she um, was in the middle of telling the story of having a dream about her own house burning down yeah when a neighbor ran in and went my house is burning down <laughs> oh no, well, your house is burning down it was there oh sorry yeah yeah it was their house did she, like, <laughs> throw a match on the house before she left to Possibly. go tell somebody well, the hold story? hold on,
1: that was the way I read it. Sorry, I just have to double check that. was that. confusing a bit.
0: Now. Who burst into the room, exclaiming that their house was in flames.
1: I assume it's saying that Mrs. Kerr... But is
0: she not in her house telling the story?
1: But why would you, if your house was on fire, would you run to a neighbour and just go, My house is on fire.
0: Yeah, you'd, for help.
1: I don't know, I think it'd be phrased differently. I think you'd more run in and go, uh, Your house is on fire. I don't know. I I think that sounds more like he ran in to tell them that their yeah, house yeah. is on okay. Fire. Yeah, yeah, maybe.
0: No, I think if it was because, like, oh, sorry, the start of the article did say her house. I think
1: well, it says, it? dreams of fire, it comes true. That's all. Oh, okay. Interrupted by the arrival of a neighbor's son who bursts into the room, exclaiming that their house is on
0: fire. I think. Yeah, it would have said his house. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah.
1: Um. Can we well, do some diary readings. Finish up. We can, but I have to read just the good ones here. Okay, sorry. Yeah. This is a headline. Had to read the Bible for five years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Excellent.
1: Her health seriously injured. Humane society interfered and places her with others. Sorry, February 5th at Pearl Hall. Pearl Hall. This isn't, that sounds like a place, but that's a name. Okay. So yeah. Aged 11, who was adopted... When she was a baby by her grandfather anton myers has spent the last five years of her life mainly in studying the bible the girl did so on on bread and on a bread and water diet okay now it's actually child abuse this is okay well it was child abuse anyway making a kid read the bible (laughs) but uh with an occasional bit of boiled rice since she was six years old her grandfather compelled her to read the bible at all hours of the day the girl would not even be allowed to go out and play the humane society interfered on her behalf today and the court placed her with another family wow her grandfather who is a most devout religionist uh, is heartbroken over the turn of affairs so that's actually quite horrible when you think about it <laughs> that's awful but it's still funny like that the the way the the articles written that's like they kept like she was tortured by reading the Bible for five years I was just amazed that that was in a paper from 1906 yeah, yeah. that they were like this is a bad thing yeah right. well, we'll go to the journal in a second but I just have to finish this up with a uh, fight duel with whiskey say that again fight <laughs> duel oh, okay yeah <laughs> duel uh with whiskey. Uh, This in Indianapolis, uh, February 5th, Robert Reinard and Thomas Faradell, two young men employed in railroad construction work by the Big Four in Dearborn County, attended a dance last night. In the course of the evening they got into an altercation, which was about to end in a fight, when they were asked to leave the house. Both expressed a willingness to fight it out. Someone suggested that whiskey would be a proper weapon, as they seemed to have become estranged through its influence. (laughs) (laughs) Followed by the crowd, they went at once to a bar and began to drink. A committee being appointed (laughs) from among the bystanders to see that each was given the same size drink. For more than an hour, they stood at the bar drinking, but after Brian and... It's such a weird name. But after Brian had swallowed his 45th glass, he fell to the floor and was counted the loser. Both men are now under the care of a (laughs) physician.
0: That is amazing.
1: Forty um, fifth glass. Again, I don't know how true, cause like that sounds like there's, well like you were saying earlier about how there's no names attached to the, these stories. Yeah, yeah. It's like somebody's, somebody's just making up funny stories. <laughs> yeah. Because we had no cannibalism this week. Oh yeah, we haven't had cannibalism for a few. of yeah. It's been a. Well, there is a lot of cannibal. Well, kind of cannibalism this week. I'm not going to go into. It. I'm just going to. There's three stories similar to this. I'm cheating a bit, these are actually over the weekend, a, little, a day or two after. I'm just going to read one, and this is called A Gruesome Story, If True. A half-caste Aboriginal brings a gruesome story from the nor- northern goldfields. He says the blacks there are starving and are resorting to cannibalism by eating their children. The man has come down to ask the government to do something for the blacks, amongst whom disease of all kinds are rampant. This was the story... Like uh, that ran in loads of Australian newspapers yeah, yeah. this week about Aboriginal cannibalism. I did do a bit of research on it. It's very hard. There's not much on it. Yeah, I, we probably don't need to go into it. It just it's awful. It's pretty awful, and also it's really like the way the the papers refer to. It's in a really racist vein. Yeah, okay, yeah. I like being able to laugh at stories on this, and I
0: don't know. That doesn't sound like... There's nothing funny about this one, (laughs) so, yeah. Even the Donner party is a bit funny.
1: Yeah, the party we never talked about that we promised we would.
0: Yeah. Which we're going to. We
1: might might actually do it next week.
0: Yeah, maybe do a special.
1: Uh, We asked last week for people to... Email us because we give out our email, and people should still should, but we didn't really hear from anyone. The only person we heard from was somebody giving out to us saying, like, "Oh, you said you were going to talk about the Donner Party, and, and then you then never did." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so <laughs> that was it. Yeah, we're considering like maybe next week we would we'll put out the Donner Party special. Huh? Yeah, and then we'll, we'll be back the next week after to do the Raider podcast. Yeah, like we we think like for certain subjects that are very big, we can do special editions where we just definitely. 'Cause we talked as well about smallpox. Uh we've mentioned it a few times and how like we just never got around to it. Like some point we might do a special just on the entire yeah, history yeah, of smallpox. Certainly. So yeah, we might just do Donner Party next week,
0: that'd be good. So was it was the last week you did this first? Was it? First yeah, week. So last last week uh Johnny discovered this amazing find of um a gentleman who kept a daily diary around this time of this decade where we're currently in. We're gonna continue with at, him yeah we're gonna continue with him for as long as he continues i think because it's a nice little way a nice little way to end you on a i suppose on a high or a low depending on what way <laughs> you look at this man's dull entries but so, what was his name again sorry albert hunter albert hunter albert hunter so you have to take in mind of what you heard last week of how our podcast work works it's been um we're catching a week, up with yeah, him a year later a year and a week later from when we last heard from him so Cause and I came across this ages ago, bookmarked it like before we ever were
1: doing the podcast. I thought, yeah, yeah. oh, that's funny. Bookmarked it, never Forget thought about it, again yeah. until last week. I was like, oh, I remember that. We 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 really like just joked about it last week, and yeah. fair enough, it was really funny, but. I'd like to find a way to do an entire episode about it. We him. did say that before last week. I was saying to you we you should really yeah, we... just do a podcast that's just reading his weekly yeah, diary. Yeah. yeah, well I don't think that was on the podcast. I think we we're talking oh, about we, that it. Uh, yeah, you were saying you could just like do a podcast where every week you just do a week in his life. Like, yeah,
0: <laughs> um, it could be Johnny's uh, solo podcast you do, <laughs> <laughs> but to give some because uh, we didn't even give
1: any any well we kind of give background. I, yeah, listen to n- last week's, of course, because we explained who he was. But the entries to this because you know, none of we're not doing any work here. These were transcribed from a copy of a 1,000-page handwritten original. Wow. Um, The bulk of the transcription were done by 8th grade students on the Sutton House team of the Shelburne Community School, Shelburne, Vermont. So they're the ones that uh, transcribed all of this. It was a school project. 8th grade is like
0: 14, 15, I think? I think so, yeah. we're 7th grade is around 14.
1: Well, you do like essentially it's junior high i think they go straight in so you pretend we after after six class yeah if first year was seven class yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so it's like junior cert here i, I reckon yeah i think so yeah. so yeah 14 probably yeah about be. 14 15 yeah See so for people not in Ireland yet, we have a different system. Entirely different educational system. It's like translating money or imperial and a metric. <laughs> <laughs> so, and in both cases, this is from the site, in both cases the students have worked hard to... Oh, sorry, yeah, sorry, I skipped the line. The later of years of the journal were transcribed by students at Chaplin Valley Union High School in Hinesburg. And Vermont as well. So in both cases, the students have worked hard to transcribe them accurately. They have tried to be true to the original. Therefore, spelling, punctuation, and format may occasionally look odd. The website continues to evolve. Now, sadly, the the website actually hasn't been updated in a long, long time. I was going to say, we should get in touch with them. I don't think we have enough listeners for... (laughs) No, no. You can go on the site and see it. And yeah, and we said it last week. He just talks about what he read in the papers. He's following the war a lot. And the weather. Yeah, his friend Henry. He talks about him a lot. He really loves him. The L- weather. Last
0: week, he met a horse named Henry. Named
1: Henry. Was <laughs> amazing. My,
0: that was my favourite entry.
1: And like, sorry, because I just want to give credit to the students who've done the work. Uh, there's some comments about them, and there's no names attributed, but just. These are just quotes from the students. The glimpse into the past helps me compare my life today to those who lived long ago. Another one. I think that reading and transcribing is a way of preserving Vermont history. Albert isn't that different than people today. He has a different lifestyle. But he still does things that I like to do. Like going for bike rides and visiting his friends. And reading about war news and talking about Henry and... (laughs) <laughs> cutting wood for business? I still don't know what
0: cutting wood for business. <laughs> um, is that just for, like to keep busy? I think so. It's like, because you know, I- idle hands are the devil's hands. Gotta go cut some wood. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, yeah, he, he, he seems likable. I'd love it to continue. So, we'll catch up with him where he is now. yes yeah, so we're the week of the sixth, so we'll start at the first, I guess. Uh, yeah. Work to the sixth. Maybe a bit beyond it, just because we won't get here. Um, hold on, two years time we'll be back to him again maybe oh yeah uh, so February the 1st 1906 fine day <laughs> <laughs> how many entries start with that the way you read them is <laughs> uh, 30 magnitude about 40 rest of the day finished chopping my wood and went over to Chet's, I oh, was still friends with Chet's anyway, Like he was hanging out with Chet last year I uh, had been to the city after coal. This sounds like the the same entry that he had last year. <laughs> <laughs> same time of year, really. I guess. Uh, <laughs> but it's like it's nice that nothing changed. Uh, we came over to Frank's old wagon to draw my wood. Drew one load, but the second was too much for one hind wheel. It collapsed and we had to leave it.
0: That was an exciting day.
1: At uh, Henry's this evening. <laughs> haven't felt hardly able to drag around all day hardly felt (laughs) sorry haven't felt hardly able to drag around all day it's weird they did say in that that they kept the punctuation and stuff does that just mean he was tired i think i think so yeah this is like the text speak of back then yeah yeah (laughs) must do something for myself before long i guess but don't hardly know what is left to do he sounds really down. Like it sounds like he's really lost. Uh, met God, Goodspeed, and Bell. Goodspeed, I assume, is a nickname for somebody. Yeah. He sounds really down in that. Does that sound? Is that just sounds weird? a bit down. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Uh, so next day, February second, zero weather all day. Does that just mean it was just mild? Zero weather all does day. Does it mean frozen, like zero degrees? Uh, yeah i get. yeah i don't know why it didn't it, i guess it's just because his the degrees are it's always written in numbers and now it's it's spelt so i just assume zero is more uh, yeah. like nothing yeah the um, <laughs> report but no you're probably right i just just because there was no number it just didn't click that way with me but yeah so zero weather all day fine but awfully cold yeah i guess that answers Maybe. that with well. zero he could just mean there was no rain or wind. It was just... That's what boring. I thought, yeah, but yeah. I think you might be... I think you're one... Yeah, it probably is just in degree. A boat. Let's say it's boat. Let's say it's boat. <laughs> um, put the wood we drew yesterday into the barn. Went, <laughs> <and> <laughs> went over to Henry's and got sour milk. Made a lot of gin- ginger snaps. Uh, so we made some ginger snaps. That's good anyway. Chet came and we finished drawing all my wood. I had cut four loads... Uh, he, he cooked some boiled cabbage and turnip, carrots, potatoes. He lists out everything, fried some pork and had a good hot supper. Uh, but Saturday, oh, cold day. He sounded, <laughs> a lot, he sounded a lot better on Friday. Yeah. Well, I guess he had Chet over. Although it, but on Saturday, uh, the third cold day, Chet came after Frank's wagon, which I had fixed so he could take it home. Patsy found Louis King's cap. Which was lost last night. Oh, I wish it was an entry to how it got lost. Uh, I left at Cole's this evening. Look stormy. Colour around the sun. <laughs> <laughs> Sunday February the 4th. Not quite as cold. At home all day. Henry Cole called this PM. At Chet's in Eve. Uh, Chetsy Oh he's calling him Chetcy now. Chetsy and I cut pictures. What does that mean? No idea. <laughs> Cut pictures. He was pretty tired and sleepy. Chet gave me a chicken, which I brought home. Were they scrapbooking? That's what I think, yeah.
0: I know this is going to sound probably offensive, but they come across, like, three gay men.
1: <laughs> they seem really friendly, and I, it's weird, like, the fact that they're always, like, just, oh, bring a chicken home. It's like, <laughs> who sends you home, home with a chicken, like... <laughs> yeah.
0: But just the way they're, like, the scrapbooking, making ginger snaps, <laughs> it just sounds like a metro- TV depiction yeah, of like, a sitcom gay man.
1: Or just, like, a, like a, a metrosexual. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it just sounds so
0: odd. It doesn't sound like a bunch of, like, rough lads living in the wilds. Kind of, like, <laughs> in, like, I kind of imagine them just in a bunch of cabins in the mountains. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah well,
1: like, the fact he was a fill-in lighthouse keeper, it just seems... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, on Monday, snowstorm this morning. Lasted until mid-pm. Very cold all day. And tonight, at Henry's in the pm. Henry Lindall there. This is a different Henry, obviously. Easier tonight. Martin Kras- Cross called for papering tools. More papering tools. That sounds like scrapbook. I swear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, 15 degrees. This Friday at 6th. Today. Oh, sorry, I just read because it's abbreviated. So, yes, February the 6th. Okay, yeah. I thought it was another one where our podcast fell on the day. Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry, yeah. But what in the medicines? 15 degrees, 7 a.m., 0 degree, noon, 10 degrees, 9 p.m. Love, he's keeping a record of the temperature constantly. I haven't been reading them out, but even when he doesn't mention it in the paragraph, he has it written over oh, so at, it's like, at the date he has it. So he's
0: just going around in the day, looking at the thermometer, writing it in his book. Yeah. That's brilliant.
1: It's so weird. Like, what was the end game for him? Like, why keep a record for so long? Like, <laughs> It's so you
0: can go back and look over it when we, you're over? Maybe alone? we'll find out. I hope so. Uh, at the very end, he's like, and oh, that's why I think you should marry me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, so continue with February the 6th the coldest day that I have seen since coming ashore wind north west and the bay frozen over again the fourth or the second time two days ago it was half open haven't been out all at all today as I considered it a very good day to stay near good fire <laughs> which I have had that's calm up to, to today should we continue or leave it? No, there no I think
0: that's enough Leave him hanging.
1: Yeah. What is there? Yeah. Some nice ones here.
0: Okay, go on.
1: No, no. Like, well, we'll skip way ahead just because we're not gonna like February the fifteenth. This is great. that this is why I'm worried about him. Oh, okay. This is his entry for the fifteenth. A cold day. Like, oh,
0: because we won't so, get, we won't hear from him again till next year. see. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, yeah. February 15th's entrance is just a, a cold day, sowing wood all day. That's it. Oh. That sounds like no no temperature, not and the day after is some warmer, finished my wood and swept barn floor and then went over to Chet's Jetsy and I had a great time singing and playing. Okay. Well you got there's I loved that
0: it went over to Jets and then it's like Jetsy <laughs> and I? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, old Chetsy. But yeah. That, <laughs> I'm going through them here. Like he seems okay, okay, they're getting longer you worried about it. Well, probably. I'm
0: worried as well that we won't get to find out. <laughs> um, just be like, building a lynch today. <laughs> oh, no. What? you near the end?
1: It doesn't continue after February 28th.
0: <gasps> That's the last one.
1: What is the, <laughs> what's the last entry, then? The coldest for some time. This is February 28th. The coldest for some time. Squally all around, but not here. Pleasant near 7am. Chet and I... Went to ben Law and broke road and made other preparations for drawing ice. and threw 60 kicks cut yesterday. Tinker just clearing roads. Uh, some more uh, northern lights flashing again tonight. That's his last entry.
0: He was abducted by aliens. <laughs>
1: oh my god, it all <laughs> comes from sir- full circle. <laughs> yeah. I really thought, wow. wow, it's so disappointing that... Now, I actually knew it was going to end because uh, it says uh eighteen whatever the eighteen ninety eight to nineteen oh seven. Okay. But I thought we would get I thought that meant next week would be oh, yeah. when it ended. But actually it is it's this week. It's, oh I feel oh, <sighs> really sad after this Yeah I was hoping we would get him for, for the duration of the show. Yeah yeah. We could still read entries. We can yeah we can go back to him yeah. but that's it. well it was a it <laughs> was a good segment while it lasted. Yeah. But, yeah, so... That was yesterday's <laughs> just news today. Next week we will... Well, maybe we'll be back. We're not sure what we're doing next week. It might be a Donner Party episode. Yeah, yeah. We've had a request for it.
0: we like to honour some fans.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't use the word fan, though. I'd just, oh, I'd just say a, a, listener. Listener. A, co- a listener.
0: A listener. A listener. A listener. Just
1: a person that exists out there.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, if you... Do underwrite us if you have any suggestions for us, or if we've anything we have read out and said, Oh, we'll look more into that and then done nothing about it. Do email us news at gmail.com. Yes, news today. Sorry, yesteryearsnews news today.com. <laughs> you can also follow tweet tweet us up at a uh, YNT Podcast. Find us on Facebook as well at YesU's News Today. And the same on SoundCloud. everything
1: we're generally if you just search yesteryear's news today, that's what we'll be under. I've been Shane. Been Johnny, and we'll see you in the future.
0: Well, don't you mean the past? Subscribe to us on iTunes, rate us, and tune in to us every Friday for yesterday's news today, where the news is better late than never.